It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, welcome into the CHGO White Sox postgame show. Uh, Coming to you live from Studio A of our CHGO offices here in the West Loop of Chicago. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. You can follow the show on Twitter at CHGO underscore White Sox alongside me. And I'm very happy to say that. My boys, they're back. Uh, Vinny Duber on the far left. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. And the man in the middle, Herb Lawrence. Hello. You can follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23 is our CHGL White Sox community leader. Hello. Hi. Hello. Good to be back. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Steven. Hi, Sean. Hi, everybody in the chat. Make sure you're hitting that thumbs up button. Uh, we are coming to you live after a White Sox loss. Uh, 11 to 10 in Flushing. Uh, you liked my little joke. That was great. They played in Flushing. You, you hear it a lot from Pedro Grafol. Got to flush it. It's a loss. He usually says it after a loss. Flushing it. And, yeah. and I, you know, a joke is always better when you explain it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All um, I think about is the uh, Homer Simpson going through Flushing Meadows with a bunch of toilets. La, 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 la. <laughs> Most of my Mets humor comes from uh, the Simpsons. Because they're a toilet team? Yes. Um, and they're my fav- favorite squadron. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe that uh, Buck Showalter is still leading that, da- uh, that, that team. Um, the comment from Hugo, though, is interesting. Uh, the fight and I see in our boys is different. Uh, uh, you guys missed this discourse uh, over the weekend, but the White Sox surprisingly won two out of three from the Braves. And on Friday, Frank Thomas, you guys know Frank Thomas. I do. Um, he said on the postgame that uh, he didn't want to see another week of this team, uh, that you can't come out that flat as a team after an all-star break. And then they won two games. And now we see, even though they didn't win, they put up 10 runs in Flushing, and it seemed like there was a fight first and third with two outs um, after Andrew Benatendi uh, steals second. Uh, Tim Anderson had a couple pitches to try to do something against uh, former White Sox great uh, David Robertson, uh, and he, he ended up flying out. And we see the frustration from Tim uh, once he flies out. But I don't know if you guys saw any of that fight that Hugo's talking about. Well, I'll just say this, far lo- you know, far less important maybe than what Frank Thomas is saying when the team's in Atlanta and he's in Chicago is is the comments that I saw from Pedro Grafol, I think, the next day uh, when, when he was talking, you know, I don't know if it counts as calling out his team, but certainly commenting that uh, his team wasn't, you know, prepared and wasn't uh, having the focus and attention to detail. I mean, remember the all the many words that he said during his introductory press conference about how this team was supposed to play. And here he is more than halfway through his opening season, basically saying, yeah, we're not doing it the way we need to be doing it. Um, I don't know if maybe that helped to uh, light a bit of a fire, but uh, certainly looking at the results and the production, uh, the, the final two days in Atlanta from a team that hadn't done it at all, basically, throughout the first half, with at least with any consistency. And then here tonight, this team goes down by a, a good a good margin multiple times, mm-hmm. five nothing in the first inning, and then and then I think the biggest margin of the day was seven runs at, at, at uh, eleven to four um, to come back and only lose that game by by a run to to have the go ahead run in scoring position there at the very end. I mean. Uh, Again, not the kind of thing that we saw with great frequency uh, in the first half, and that's just speaking from a results standpoint. Um, so if, uh, if there is some stuff going on behind the scenes that are leading to the results of the last three games, then maybe the things are a little different here uh, in, the, in this very small sample size of, of, of the, 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 the East Coast trip here. As I said, uh, when I was on vacation, I was like, it's better to win than lose, and 
you know, winning two out of three versus the Atlanta Braves, a really good team, is a, a good sign. I don't know if people get frustrated seeing the life from offense right now, like the win on Saturday, the win on Sunday, and then today's 10-round output. You're like, ah, if this would have been earlier in the year, it would have been a much better situation for the White Sox because early in the year we talked about it all the time. The pitching was there. It's been there for most of the year, especially the starting pitching, and the offense really hasn't uh, contributed. Today, Lucas didn't have it. And the offense, you said, okay, we're going to pick you up, Lucas. You know, you gave up a bunch of runs, and you didn't have your game, but we're going to attack these Mets guys uh, and try to get this game back. So, yes, it is very encouraging, even though this season is lost, that these players haven't quit, especially Tim Anderson in particular because he was stinging the ball. Finally, the Tim Anderson that we expected showed up today, and I didn't see the game necessarily on Sunday, but I heard he had two good hits that game too, but he reached base four times, and the last out, you know, he missed a, a hanging slider, but those things are going to happen, but it's encouraging to see that he is starting to sting the ball. Andrew Benintendi's continuing his assault on at the leadoff spot, so we see top of the order starts hitting, offense automatically responds to uh, scoring a 10-run thing, but losing a game when you score 10 runs has to hurt. And we'll get more into Tim later, uh, but just to bring this up, uh, Tim today put a slider into play at 99.9 miles per hour. Uh, he put two fastballs into play, uh, one at 107.6, one at 106.4, uh, and then a sweeper in play um, at 100.5. So four uh, exit velocities of 95 plus, uh, and then obviously popped up uh, a sinker, I think, to end the game uh, and frustratedly slammed his bat. But um, still, uh a good showing from Tim Anderson, and I think the biggest thing that you bring up is again, it would be nice to see this in April when they were seven and twenty-one. Or I know um, they can't control that because they were trying to do it, but you know, as well, fans were kind of frustrated, it happens in July, and you see the team that was promised offensively now. Yeah, and again, it's been three games. They scored zero runs on on Friday, so not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we've seen some life, and even you know, beating Spe- uh, Spencer Strider on Friday too. And I was bitter about that Friday game even though they won because I was like Saturday. oh it's uh, or Saturday yeah. uh it was six to five but even in the the late ninth just like the White Sox were threatening to score um the Braves were threatening to score and that game could have been a, a, another loss for the Sox there um so you know hey uh, both sides of the coin here it could have gone either way for the Sox because they showed that fight and again they were in this game so I, I do think that you bringing up something uh, or bringing up earlier um Pedro kind of possibly calling out his team I, I think that might be true because like it was about attention to detail, and we heard a lot about that from Rick Hahn, and we saw the clip when Pedro was introduced at Guaranteed Rate Field that we're going to prepare every night to kick your ass. Maybe that is starting to tick off Pedro that, you know, coming out of the All-Star break, you're losing 9 to nothing, and you're not seeing that fire, and, you know, maybe it's his way of calling them out. Could be, could be. But again, too, I mean, there is, there is this whole, you, you used the phrase, other side of the coin, right? And, and there was a, a comment there, I think it's the one you're showing right now, Stephen, that, that is, you know, perfectly encapsulates kind of the other way to look at this, which is, yeah, nice job by the offense to, to do what you said, her pick Giolito up and, and make this a game and almost stage an epic comeback. But you don't win games when your starting pitcher gives up eight runs mm-hmm. and can't, can't finish the fourth inning. And, and so, you know, it, it the, the, explanation from this team from the players throughout the first however many months you want to pick of the season when things were not going right and you could certainly argue that things still aren't going right but um is they weren't clicking all at the same time they would have a a nice offensive night and the pitching wouldn't do it or the vast majority of the time the pitching would do its job and the offense wouldn't this is just another example of that well and truly Herb, because i mean i think you look at all assets of the game fielding was there tonight for the Sox. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything really stuck out. Uh, Jake Berger made a real nice play on Jeff McNeil, uh, made a charging play, nice clean exchange, got it over to uh, Andrew Vaughn. Base running seemed to be great. Uh, Benny, I-, I know, was flying around. You noted Tim Anderson's play as well. You also noted Sebi's uh, fielding play. Yeah. Um, the just one thing that wasn't there was the pitching. Um, I know Tanner Banks gave up a homer. Brian Shaw wasn't that great. I also found out about his tattoo. That's also not that great. Um, and Giolito struggled as well but again he's like the one guy that deserves a little bit of leniency and and also we talk so much about guys being off of their normal schedule and rotation he was pitching on extra rest so he doesn't like yeah right Right. so he's noted that in the past well i wish i knew that before the game i would have bet on the mets yeah and 
to talk about that Sebi Savala uh, heads up play, he was up to bat. Um, um, let's see, Yaz was at third base, and Luke Rayleigh throws a wild pitch. Yeah, you know, Yaz doesn't have that great of speed. Sebi stays in the box as he knows that the catcher is going behind him, and the throw would have to come through through Sebi if he threw the ball. And so it's just a heads up baseball IQ move that I. certainly get on them for having sometimes a dumb baseball IQ. I'm going to give him credit there for doing that. And then with the big time inning they had in the seventh inning was kept alive and actually fortified by Tim Anderson. It's a ground ball, double play to third base to Beatty instead of, you know, just lagging and not hustling to second as a team that is this many games behind 500 and behind first place you might expect. And we've seen Tim a couple times dog it. Uh, to, you know, sometimes. And then he hustles into second to break up that double play. That continues the inning. They score seven runs in that inning. That is what you want to see from your team, even if they're bad. You're professionals. You still get paid, and you still are expected to give 100%. And it's good to see that they still have fight in them, that they're still giving that good effort. And that's why this is one of the reasons why I don't want to trade Tim, because I know that good Tim is going to come. If he gets traded, I know it's going to be on another team. If he stays next year, good Tim's going to be back. So I'm looking forward to that. It's encouraging after all the crap that he's been through and all the bad plays they've been doing this year that he's actually finally turning the corner. It looks like he's being um, – the rest maybe over the All-Star break really helped him out. Well, Herb, I mean, uh, what you're saying there is, is, is not wrong, but it's a lot of uh, the kind of thing that you hear when a team is already done and out of it and certainly – that's the opinion that you and plenty of other people have about this White Sox team. But to just talk about what they're thinking right now and what they're saying, mm-hmm. they're not seeing this as, oh, well, we're professionals. <laughs> We've got to go out there and give a good effort, you know, because the spirit of play or something like that. They see this as their last chance. They see this as the last the last time that they can avoid a sell-off. There's only, uh, what, about 10-ish games before the trade deadline. They're seeing this as the, hey, what can we do? What can we finally do? Maybe we procrastinated a bit, but what can we do to uh, to stay in this and to avoid this team being kind of, for lack of a better term, dismantled? We'll see if that's exactly how it plays out. But, you know, they've been talking for weeks now about, oh, we've got to put a run together. We've got to give this the front office a reason to, to keep us together. This is the last, this is like almost mathematically the last chance to do this, not from an elimination standpoint, but just from that trade deadline date coming down the pipe here. Well, and Herb, it seems like you want to talk about Tim Anderson because the last two answers you've given have ended on Tim Anderson points. I got a shirt on too. Oh, there you go. Uh, And we got the bobblehead right there. Mm -hmm. Shout out Foco. Um, Obviously he played well today, but Vinny mentions the sell-off and the potential of a sell-off. What what can we expect from the Sox? Because I don't even know if I would say that selling Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn are like a sell-off. I mean, if Tim Anderson's still on this team, I don't think the White Sox really did enough to sell. I, I don't think the White Sox did enough or, or, or will not do enough at the deadline to truly make it a, a full sell. It, it still kind of feels like you're just sitting on your hands and, you know, getting rid of what's going to be gone anyways. Yeah, but I don't see... I would put this in a tweet the other day. I know Rick is probably doing the best he can to find offers for these players. If Tim or if, even if Lucas doesn't go, I'm going to be very disappointed if Lucas doesn't go because that, I think, is the right move for the White Sox. But also, I don't want Rick to just be selling just to be selling. Right. On a low level, it's like, I just got to get rid of Lucas Giolito. Here, get out of here. Or I got to get rid of Lance Lynn. Go, get out of here. I want him to get the best deal he can. And if he doesn't feel like he's getting the right offers for the players that he has on the roster, hold them. And then at the press conference when he comes back and say, hey, the offers didn't materialize for the players, we think, and we didn't get the value that we wanted. I'm not just here to, to supplement other teams and them throwing garbage at me. I want him to give me actual value for my players. And Lance Lynn, while the numbers are not great, is a valuable starting pitcher, as you've seen what he's done uh, yeah, lately. They're losing him next year. I mean, I, yeah. I doubt they're going to pick up that $18 million club but, option. But just don't just don't trade him just, or just to get rid of him. That's what I want Rick on. And I know the professional that he is is not going to do that. And I know we've been disappointed with his last couple trade deadlines where he really didn't do a lot. But I would rather him be on the side of caution than on the side of everybody must go. 
I don't care. This team is over. We're going to rebuild. Yeah, I, I think, Sean, that in your question is a second question, which is what are they trying to accomplish? And if you're looking at it through just a, the strict lens of selling at the deadline means tearing everything completely down, those are two different things. You can sell at the deadline without tearing everything down. Now, if you're if you have the thought that you want them to tear everything down and they only quote unquote sell Lucas or Lance or, or uh, you know here and there you're saying, "Well, was it really a sell? It was a sell. It wasn't a complete teardown that's being executed in <laughs> a week and a half." I guess what right. defines the teardown though? What what defines that point? If Lucas goes and Lance goes, is that just selling because they are assets that are likely gone after this year. I mean, you bring up the Lucas point. If Lucas Giolito is still on this team after the deadline, I think Rickon completely fucked up because there's been reports since Bob from Bob Nightingale since May that they'd mm -hmm. be trading him if they were out of the, the race uh, at the deadline. I mean, this has been something that, I, I mean, has been turning, uh, I, I think, probably for a while, at least in Rick Hans' head, that Lucas would be on the move. And it seems like Lucas is understanding that it's, you know, highly possible that he'll, he'll get dealt. So, like... If Lucas goes, I'm not really surprised. If oh, yeah. Lance goes, I'm not really surprised mm. as well. But just tearing it down, meeting trading Tim. I mean, tearing it down mean, means trading everybody. Mm -hmm. And this is, A, not the only opportunity to do that with guys who are continue to be under team control. But, B, maybe that's not what the White Sox are trying to do. Maybe a complete teardown is not the direction that they have in mind here. A complete teardown probably means that they're not competitive next year and maybe the year after that. I mean, like, this is a team that is built for so long. Everybody has their own opinion on how well, but has spent so much time building for now. And to go ahead and, and just, even with a lot of these guys still under contract, to say, no, 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 we need to start over from, from square one again, that's a massive undertaking that, that is not going to be done in a week and a half before the trade deadline. And I don't know if Rick or Kenny or Jerry, how they feel about, quote-unquote, a rebuild. And as Alex Rude points out, the CBA kind of makes it hard to do a rebuild as you can't, you know, as the White Sox are in a good market, you can't do the top 10 market or top 10 pick in consecutive years. I think that if Rick, tears the this down with Lucas, Lance, relievers, etc. I don't know if but, Jerry's going to allow another rebuild, and I'll put those in quotes. So I don't know what Rick's mindset is if he's thinking, okay, I don't need to tear this down because I need to compete next year because Jerry probably won't want to see three, four more years of rebuilding this team and he will probably won't let me do it if i if i was to or trade her, everybody away or her maybe he thinks that they can compete next year yeah it, you I, know, mean, I mean I, like they're they're they have not given any indication that they don't believe in these players that they've believed in for the last four or five years i'm you a think believer he'll, that do you think they, he'll get false hope or hope from this offensive output they've had lately it's three games Mm -hmm. This is three games. But I, you're seeing I, Tim go off, and I could see somebody's like, well, we got the real Tim. Let's go back in 2024 and see if we can have the real Tim with the real Andrew Benintendi and build this right back up with Luis Roberts still there, Aloy Jimenez hopefully healthy, and then Yoan Moncada and Jake Berger. So I guess what I was trying to trying to figure out, though, is like what, what players leaving specifically would signify the White Sox oh. are rebuilding? Like, again, because it, it seems clear that the White Sox would just be sellers if Lucas and Lance go out the door. But, like, if Tim Anderson leaves this team at the deadline, that means the White Sox are rebuilding. Correct. I don't know. I don't know. For me, yes. I like that answer. Yes. I don't know. Correct. <laughs> Him, Aloy, I think, yeah, I think that signals them Oh, but rebuilding. that's a different question. Well, but mm -hmm. what, what is that? I mean, what is volume. Been, volume is what does it. I mean, well, and, and guys either. that are under control, too. I would yeah. say either of those two going. Cease. Robert, Cease. Yeah. Aloy and Andrew Vaughn have been labeled as the untouchables by some baseball media, like, you know, John Heyman. Um, so if any of the untouchables are touched, do you think that signals a rebuild? Y yes. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. So if Tim Anderson's traded, this is, I mean, because I, I, I'm I'm in the camp that if Tim Anderson goes, Lance goes, and Lucas goes, and none of those players are on the 2024 team, that they could still compete in the AL Central. Yes. I mean, go look mm-hmm. at the Cleveland rotation I, right now. A lot of those guys are, and I know Cleveland's a different organization, um, especially when it comes to developing pitching, but a lot of those guys are rookies right now in that rotation. Looking at the way the White Sox are set up right now, it would be, it would seem very likely to me that their intention would be to compete in 2024. And I think that any moves that would significantly harm that goal would be surprising to me. And Fred, I was speaking as Rick Hahn. I, of course I don't believe in that. I was speaking if Rick Hahn would think that if he got the real Andrew Benintendi. So, yes. What was the comment? I was just saying, like, if Rick was like, okay, I'm getting the real Tim and – Benintendi's been on fire as the leadoff guy. We get that yeah, well, next year. I'm not saying that as Herb's beliefs. I mean, ben, Benintendi, and I know I'm, I'm about to speak well about the man, so please, I might. We I should might, have a siren. I might, I might Root. faint. Um, this Positivity from Sean. This doesn't include. No, <laughs> wow. That just sounds like the beginning of an REO song. That's Oppenheimer right there. Um so th- this doesn't include today's game, but uh, since June first, forty-one hits, nine doubles, a, a three-twenty-five batting average, three-ninety-four on base, four-twenty-one slugging, uh, eight-fifteen OPS. I especially like that slugging near four-twenty-five. That's his career average. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I've said about him is that, and the reason why I've been bagging on him is just that he's been worse than his career average. If he's going to be his career average, he's a fine player. I mean, he's like the White Sox didn't, you know. I mean, like I, I think they overpaid a little, like and what the market was expecting or like what some projections have it but i think it was like the projection was like 71 million so like what they overpaid by 4 million a little bit like if he is the career player that he was in boston he's not a bad left fielder he's he's fine like well, he's just, not going anywhere i wanted somebody to hit he's home here. runs he doesn't he doesn't do that and he's that's, not going that's anywhere right no yeah. but like i mean I, I i think that if tim anderson was tim anderson and ben attendee was ben attendee for the first two months this team would look a hell of a lot different absolutely i don't i don't i, I agree with you and i'm saying that as the ben attendee hater well and, and i don't think only that <laughs> but like respect like like you the way that you voiced that right there shows that that's it's obvious that that could happen that possibility does exist and so that's why i say that it does look so likely that 2024 is going to be a year in which they attempt to compete with a lot of the guys that they currently have now and i know that's what we've been saying for two years now but um it it would look that way i mean come on you've got robert and Aloy under control as long as you do you've got benintendi under control as long as you do vaughn burger they're not going anywhere and we've talked about the we've talked about the um the challenges that face them this winter in, in assembling a pitching staff, uh, particularly a starting pitching staff. But when you got Dylan Cease at the top of the rotation, there's nothing saying that you can't give it a go. Let's take a break here because you mentioned Jake Berger. And honestly, I think if Lance Lynn was out the door, Lucas is out the door, and like Kendall and uh, Joe Kelly were out the door, I still think that's selling. And I think if you throw Jake Berger, I think that's still selling. I don't even think that's a teardown. We'll, we'll get yeah. into that in, in a second. And again, second, again, I just think – there. There are multiple ways that they can go at multiple different points in time. You know what I mean? Like, so if you see a move that surprises you at the deadline, but not 10 of them, right? Maybe that doesn't count as a teardown. If you see, if you don't see any of that, doesn't mean a teardown can't come a few months later. So, I mean, there are, rarely are doors closing and things being taken off the table. There are certain quote-unquote deadlines, and I think that's why we keep talking about Lucas Giolito. That's why we keep talking about Lance Lynn, because guess what? Those guys could walk out the door, and you could not, and you could, here's an opportunity to get something for them before that happens. I think, too, I mean, the, the well, let's take a break. Uh, take on the sun with gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered with warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Look at my beautiful models and Vinny and Herb. And Vinny's got his, his other shades on. He's got the, the wood ones on, not his sleek white ones. So uh, well, white ones, The white ones got a lot of wear. 
the last week in 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 the great northeast. They're tired. They also woke up at three thirty this morning. They did also Mercy. wake up at three thirty this morning. Uh, and that's not all. Too Shady Rays offers the most insane protection program in all of eyewear. Uh, obviously, they're going to make you look good as well. But every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us that they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. You can wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after your purchase. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, you can exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within thirty days. There's no risk. When you shop, their team always has your back. Exclusive for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code CHGO for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized shades. You can, honestly, if you like them so much, you can go buy them. You can go buy Vinny's pair. You can go buy Herb's pair. I think they're actually the same pair, just in a different finish. Vinny's got like a a wood grain finish. They have a lot. Um, And and, and Herb's got a sleek black finish Mm -hmm. uh, to his. Uh, Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people, uh, including Herb, myself, uh, and Vinny. Um, Also, that lovely bobblehead, we mentioned before, uh, that Tim Anderson one, was donated by FOCO. Uh, Some set decorations they've given out, even the Southpaw one behind us, uh, has been donated by FOCO. Check out FOCO.com, that's F-O-C-O.com, or click the link in the description below. Get fitted in the best sports gear around with FOCO. They have hoodies, shoes, signs, bobbleheads, and everything in between. And since it's baseball season, they have Aloha shirts, straw hats, polos, bags, everything you need for a game, especially when the Sox return to the south side uh starting july 25th and 26th uh so head out to the ballpark in your foco gear check out foco.com foco.com or click click the link in the description below for all non-presale items use the promo code chgo for 10 percent off again foco.com use the promo code chgo for 10 percent off all non-presale items uh all right jake Berger. um I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes just because you look at the 2024 team and you look at people who might not be leaving. Yohan Moncada seems to be in that camp. I'd be very surprised if they moved Yohan Moncada, but, I mean, you mentioned surprise moves. I think Jake Berger could be a surprising move to some because, again, his performance has been fantastic on this team, but he didn't make the opening day roster. I mean, are the Sox sure and certain that there's a place for Jake Berger on the roster in 2024 if Yohan Moncada's on the team, Andrew Vaughn's on the team, and Aloy Jimenez are on the team? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the odds would maybe be going against him being an everyday guy if all those other guys are healthy. And so certainly you could say, well, maybe there's a, a player to be had who can more easily fit into that puzzle in the long term. That being said, Jake Berger, fantastic night tonight, by the way. Um, what are his other numbers outside of, outside of the power numbers? And you look at that, and you, if, if a team is going to trade for him – it's probably going to be a contender who's looking for some pop off the bench or maybe to acquire him as a part-time player. If that's what you're doing, what are you giving up for that for that guy, right? And so the White Sox trading Jake Berger just because they don't have anywhere to put him, what does it net you back? It nets you, and because here's a guy who's already producing. Maybe at some point you just got to look up and say, hey, that guy that guy's hitting home runs. And – to be quite fair, Jake Berger coming off the bench for the White Sox, if everybody's healthy, doesn't sound like that bad of an idea either. So, um, again, there's a lot to think about there, and I think that just laying that out right there gives you a glimpse into the pros, cons, what has to be weighed, the future, the now, the uh, with uh, the return, the, the value to your own team in the long term, that every single one of these players or proposed deals or imaginary deals you know that's what the that's what a front office's job is to do and if we're going to sit here and talk it out and come to three or four different conclusions imagine what they're going to come to and 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 how they've got to pu- eventually pull the trigger or not pull the trigger on something like this so at the end of the day i think the the return probably speaks the biggest with any of these guys you know some team with a with maybe the team with the best farm system in baseball calls up Rick Hahn, says we want Dylan Cease and we're going to give you eight guys for him kind okay. of thing. I'm so I'm okay, right? Hit the button. Well, right. Okay, right. And so that's what I mean is like we, you you describe him as untouchable, but what's the return? And so that market and the the actual proposed deals from other clubs is what's going to drive the possibility of these things happening. I think the pitching market could get interesting because I mean may, maybe Rick Hahn doesn't trade Lucas Giolito because uh, he doesn't get the price and. I think it'd be stupid for him to just sit on Lucas, but maybe that scenario presents itself. Maybe it's not eight prospects, but the Orioles, I think, have nine prospects in the top 100. Maybe they give you four uh, for Dylan Cease, and 
Rick Hahn then pivots and says... And it turns into a regular Matt Latos trade. Oh, exactly. Oh, yeah. oh, oh there up? it is. Yes, right. we are here. Here, <laughs> you, you said it. I can't. I can't. I, I got to take the gift. I, I can't look the gift. What, gift horse in the mouth? What is right. that? All right. Uh, on December 17th, 2011, the San Diego Padres acquired Matt Latos. Cat Latos. Cat Latos. Future White Sox great. Four. And uh, I guess the Reds. Wait. Yeah. The, no, the Reds traded... For Matt Latos, to the Padres, for Brad Boxberger, All-Star, and Saves Leader in 2015, Yonder Alonso, All-Star, in, 20, great. in 2017, Edison Volquez, All-Star, in 2008, and then won a World Series in 2015 and threw a no-hitter in 2017. This trade was made in 2011. And Yasmani Grandal. All-Star. And went to the World Series like... Or, or the LCS like five years in a Current row. Current was a seventy million dollar catcher. Yes, insane. I mean, that is that's honestly, a heck of a return. That is the worst trade in Major League Baseball history. And I well, understand not for the team that got all those All Stars. Well, I'm saying I'm, <laughs> the team acquiring Matt Latos. That was the worst trade in Major League history. But to go back to Jake Berger, he's shown improvement from the player he was last year. Absolutely. Not only with the bat, as we see the 21 home runs. But with the glove, Vinny commented, he's good. like, man, he's out there picking it. Remember last year, he was a butcher in the field. And I remember us talking about, no, we can't have Jake Berger in the field this year. When Yoan went down, it's like, ugh, he is so terrible at fielding. He, I don't know what the numbers are. Only the three above average, Just huh? three errors this season for Jake Berger. Yeah, like the outs above average might be low, but he can pass as a major league third baseman, everyday third baseman. Maybe not for the White Sox because they already have Yoan Moncada. But I think that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are probably – kind of apprehensive on him because as we said he didn't start the year on the team and so they didn't have faith in him being this player and they might think of players that they held on to after having a great year like Gordon Beckham like Carlos Quinton like Avisal Garcia and didn't trade those players and then those players fell off the table will they think okay he's at maybe his zenith he probably won't, or, and, and also Daniel Polka. Remember, they brought him up in this uh, game because he's got the most 116-mile-per-hour hits in StatCast era. Jake Berger, I think, st- tied him today with his three today, uh, three 116-mile-per-hour hits this year. So they might say, okay, we got burned on those four guys. We might have to move Jake Berger because, firstly, when Yoan comes back, he really doesn't have position. And then secondly, if somebody really wants them as a third baseman, first baseman, their designated hitter, and they're giving us somebody that is valuable, hey, I like Jake. I think the player can grow into something better, and he has much, many years of uh, service time available. But I can see those people saying, I don't want to get burned again on a flash in the pan that sizzles out, and then next year we get nothing for him. But remember, too, like I was just saying, they don't have to do that in the next, in the next week and a half. No, they can do that in the offseason. They can, they can say right now, you know, every team that's coming to us talking about, asking about Jake Berger, they want him to be a pinch hitter off the bench to provide some pop, and they're only going to give us a, a single-A guy for him or, you know, a, 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 low, a low-rated guy for him. Let's, let's hang on. Let's hang on to him and see what, those, what teams looking for a third baseman might want come December. What well, teams looking for a designated hitter might want come January. I mean, it, I'm just saying it's it's if the the thing that's going to drive any move is going to be what they can get in return, and it's not going to be oh God, we don't know what we're gonna we don't know uh, here on August 1st what we're going to do with Jake Berger on March 30th next year. So we got to trade him right now. That that's not that's not how this is going to work. And also think right. about Rick Hahn. He also deals when he doesn't get a deal at the trade deadline. He still goes back to the GM and says, "Hey, how about that deal right now?" We remember the Lance Lynn deal where Lance didn't want to be moved. Then he went back to Chris Young in the offseason and said, "Hey, can we work that deal out now?" Kind of stuff. So if he is talking to people about these players who are still on the on the books, eventually they could be traded. And I, I would wouldn't. I wouldn't begrudge Rick if he traded somebody like Jake Berger off the team right there at the trade deadline or in the offseason because there's a lot of low, uh, small market teams that are looking exactly for what Jake Berger is. Cheap, home run guy. 
that can be used for the next five years under their books. And I would never advocate for the White Sox to make a bad deal, but the last time they were in a similar position like this where they were clear sellers before the deadline, maybe it's not the exact scenario because the other team was an actual rebuilding team in 2017, but they had a similar record, similar vibe going into that trade deadline, and they were the team that acted first. They got that deal done for Jose Quintana on July 13th. During, um, during the All-Star break. July yeah. 18th, right now. Um, like, I, I think that, again, Rick isn't afraid to make a deal, make a deal early. I, I, I wouldn't – I think Rick, honestly, is probably a little bit too gun-shy. I, I think he waits to, to actually make sure that he has the best deal possible, and I think that's why we didn't see any deals made last year. Um, but I, I do think that you look at the teams that are interested in Lance Lynn, Texas – the Rays. Reportedly. Reportedly. Yes. Um, and I think Milwaukee would likely be interested in a player like Lance Lynn because their third best pitcher right now is Colin Ray. That He's not good. Um, I know you, don't, you guys don't know much about Colin Ray. He's bad. Former Padre. Um, Lance Lynn, only $10 million, or, or what, $18 million right now. Um, if the Sox ate some of that money, um, I think it would be very possible that they could pair Lance Lynn and Jake Berger in a deal to go to Milwaukee because they need first base help. They like home runs. Same with the Rays. I mean, that's half of their philosophy is let's hit as many home runs as possible. Like, maybe they could tag Jake Berger along with Lance Lynn to make that $18 million price tag for Lance Lynn look a lot uh, appealing to eat for teams. Or maybe the Sox, if they're able to, you know, take some of that burden off for, for a team acquiring that Lance Lynn money, again, uh, you know, boosts up the the trade package there. But I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if Berger goes because I- I'll ask you this, Herb, like, who would you be more surprised goes Tim or Jake Berger. Oh. Because position-wise, again, yeah. like we know that there's obviously a spot for Tim next year mm-hmm. if he's on the team. I would be 100% surprised if Tim left because he's not at his peak right now. You're not getting good Tim. You're not getting well, good value for Tim. But to be fair, the giddiness coming from the, the this side of the room about yeah. Tim Anderson's past couple of games is a little palpable. And John Greenberg tweeted out, uh, T.A. hit his first double tonight since June 9th. Uh, in 107 plate appearances from June 10th to July 26th, he had 15 hits, 14 of which were singles. Um, and it's not he's, very good. No. Uh, and he said if he ran a team, he tried to steal Tim Anderson right now. Yes. Um, he could hit down the stretch somewhere and he'll bounce back next year. I doubt the Sox would bite, but you never know. Uh, I think the Sox should bite. And again, like we've talked about all the reasons why a team should acquire Tim Anderson. We've been talking about this for the past three months. Like, again, go look at what he does when the, the lights are bright. Yeah. Field of dreams. The postseason. I mean, the guy hits like 400 in the postseason. And again, you have the ability to control Tim Anderson next year. Uh, we brought this up yesterday. The Dodgers don't have a shortstop right now. They kind of have Chris Taylor. Uh, Miguel Vargas is now down to AAA. Like, the Dodgers wouldn't be able to take on Tim Anderson's money and then be able to look at a former batting champ, former all-star, and be like, we, only, we can only have that player for $12 million next year? Like, again, there are a lot of smart organizations that I could think could see the value in Tim Anderson. Yes, he has a... Weighted runs created plus worse than Brandon Crawford right now. Would you rather have Brandon Crawford or Tim Anderson on a playoff team? Yeah, but I – and don't get me wrong, people. I If they come correct with a deal, I'm hitting the button on Tim Anderson because as we were discussing during the game, I don't believe the White Sox are going to offer Tim Anderson or at least he, Tim Anderson's not going to sign a long-term extension with the White Sox. I think he will be gone after his contract runs up here with the White Sox. So if they come correct with the deal, and if it's the Dodgers, hell yeah, I'm hitting the button. I'm doing that. But I don't know if teams are going to do that because maybe they say, hey, you don't have a good player there. He is a, what, a 50 weighted runs created plus. He's one of the worst players in baseball this year. We're going to go on that, not the starting shortstop for the All-Star team in 2022. If they come correct for that, I'm by Tim. Bye. This is a bad team. Why would you? Why would you keep him? Exactly. I'm not keeping him just because he's TA, and I like the player. But if they're if the White Sox are operating on the notion like we got to get rid of this player and get whatever we want for him or get somewhere close to value, I don't like that because we can see this is going to come oh. and this player is going to be good. Like you said, his postseason start was what nine for nine. That's brilliant, and he shows up in the postseason. Somebody can say, yeah, the White Sox are just not doing it for him. We can get him in our camp, and he'll be the Tim Anderson that we want. But if 
they want Tim Anderson, I think they got to come correct, oh, and I don't think they will. Of course, uh, no one wants their team to take on a bad deal. Like I think, I think we could scrub that narrative. If the White Sox get hosed, we'll be able to be able to see that clearly. If you know Tim Anderson's traded off this team, we'll be able to do you know our our own research to see if you know we're we're positive or not about the the deal, right? We don't want the White Sox to get hosed, but I think the only way the White Sox make a deal in bad faith is if they are looking to dump salary and not have salary on the 2024 team. Uh, we know that their attendance has been down uh, significantly compared to a lot of major league teams. So maybe there is that direction. If that's their direction, if that's the reason why Tim Anderson's leaving, then yes, the White Sox are making a deal for the wrong reason. But if a team and a bidding war is driven up for Tim Anderson and Rick Hahn takes the best deal on the table, I think that is what a selling team should do. Like, of course, you know, you, you you might get frustrated at the return because Tim Anderson means so much. He has so many moments as the, as the White Sox guy. But again, they're sellers. And, and I think that, you know, don't get screwed on a deal, but do your best to get the best price. Like, of, of course. But, mm-hmm. you know, if that price is good enough, I am absolutely hitting that button. The White Sox should absolutely hit that Tim Anderson button because it's not a rebuild if you get rid of Tim Anderson. It's what it, it comes down to the weighing the value. What is more valuable to the White Sox in 2024 and beyond? Is it what you get for Tim Anderson? Is the package that good that that's going to boost the team moving forward? Or is it having Tim Anderson as the starting shortstop in 2024 at, as you bring up, the price? Because Tim Anderson, at his at the height of his power, right, mm-hmm. is a phenomenal deal for what his salary is. Correct. And so, if you can get that guy as you're starting shortstop in 2024 with an eye on competing in 2024, then that's pretty valuable. Or do you think that the long-term, to use Rick Hahn's uh, phrasing, long-term health of the organization is better with the package that you are presented with from a team that wants to trade for Tim Anderson? And we don't know what those packages are. We can sit here and guess. And, Sean, you are simultaneously listing all the reasons why that package should be good, right? Why other teams should want Tim Anderson, while also saying, ah, the White Sox will be fine without him, you know, or could be fine without him, right? And so that, that is, those are two contrasting ideas, in my opinion, and you need to weigh what, what is going to be better for the White Sox in 2024 and beyond. And again, we're, there are so many possibilities because we don't even know what the established direction of this team is right now, right? The, right. the last time Rick Hahn talked, he, he didn't want to talk about that in public out of uh, deference to the players who are trying to, to put some wins together. But what is that stated direction going to be? What are they going to be trying to do in 2024 and 2025 and 2026? Because 2023 doesn't look like it's happening. So if the idea is we're going to go for it in 2024 – and again, it's not it's not binary. Going for it doesn't mean you have to you know spend two hundred fifty million dollars like the Mets did, to great effect, obviously. Or the you know, nor does nor does being a seller come with some sort of uh, major league imposed rule where you have to make this many trades and have this many players leave the roster. So it, there's a lot that can happen, and and there's a very good chance that the White Sox see having an quote-unquote affordable Tim Anderson as their shortstop in 2024 is the most valuable thing for for what they're trying to do. And the White Sox haven't been in this scenario in a while where they're actually, like 100%, they are sellers. Right. That hasn't been a couple of years. So, And like I stated before, I think there's going to be very few teams that are going to be sellers this year because of the playoff format, because of the closeness of the garbage AL Central and the garbage NL Central. There's so many teams like the goddamn Cubs, that are going to be like, hey, we're in this thing. We're going to be trading for players instead of selling off players, which they should be doing. And so hopefully Rick Hahn sees the market and says, we are one of the most valuable sellers out here. We have players that people want on our on their team, and so we can strike while the iron's hot. And if TA's part of that, so be it. And if other players are part of that, so be it. I I know that everybody says there's no one, there are a couple of untouchables, like Vinny said, if somebody gives you four or five top 100 players, it's well, been real, Dylan Cease. It's been real, real. It, it, it feels like, again, 
if Luis Robert goes, that's the true sign of, you know, they're tearing things down. That's And I don't think there is a deal out there that gets done for Luis Robert Jr. So I, I don't think they're hitting the button, right? Um, as much as Shoei Tani has value, he's only a two-month rental right. for a team, and they're not going to trade him. I think Luis Robert is the most valuable trade asset, and if he gets traded – It'll, the deal would be astronomical because of the player he is and the years he has beyond and a very favorable deal. Absolutely. I mean, he's a, he's the best or one of the best, I mean, top three center fielders in the game right now. And so it will um, take something miraculous to get him off this team. But That's what I want Rick to be going into, and I'm sure he is, uh, the trade deadline. Somebody offers him something, like when Jose Quintana was on the market, that's why Rick acted fast. Like, you're giving me a Loy Jimenez and Dylan Cease? Bet I'm already I'm already done. You, we're stop talking. You've already sold me. If they give something, and that he got it, Brian Flete oh, and Matt Rose too. Man, <laughs> he was like those two. Oh man, those first two suck. Flete, <laughs> but yeah, they should he should be operating in that way where he's selling everything, but also looking out for the team's future and not getting hosed at all. Not selling for pennies on the dollar or anything less than he thinks these players are worth. And to bring up the the seller's point, and just you know, we kind of talked about this yesterday when you guys weren't here. Um, yeah, I mean, you even look at the the league standings. The team that we just played, the Mets, um, they're forty four and fifty. Um, and I was just talking to uh, Mets content creator uh, Jolly Olive yesterday, and he was pretty adamant that the Mets won't even be selling. Mm-hmm. So you look under them, the Tigers. I don't know if they have any super intriguing assets to sell. They're not um, selling. They're five games out. Couldn't even guess their uh, all-star last week. Mercy, yeah. Who Michael, is it? Michael Lorenzen. Oh, Still yeah. don't even know. <laughs> um, uh, St. Louis Cardinals said that they are selling, and obviously there's some interesting pieces there with um, Arenado and Goldschmidt if they do truly sell. But the Pirates, I don't know if they really have anything. The Sox, and then the Nationals, Rockies, Royals, Athletics. The Sox are really in a place where they are the sellers. They have a lot of, you know, I mean, they're at the farmer's market. They have the prettiest strawberries. They have, you know, uh, the, the nicest bananas. I don't think any farmer market around here. We'll have bananas, but you get the point. Good, um, good band name, by the way. The prettiest strawberries. Oh, thank you. Um, Saw them play at Rage Fest, nineteen ninety five. It was great times. Rage Fest. Oh yeah, it was great in ninety five. Oh man, I'm I'm old, Sean. Mercy, I didn't even go to Ridge Fest when I lived over there. Very I'm, bold of you to go to Chicago Ridge. Yeah. It's Jason Aldean territory. <laughs> Mercy. Ugh. All right, uh, let's take a break. Look at you. you. Topical. What are you? <laughs> Look at you out here. Topical. Uh, what are you sipping, Herb? I'm sipping some delicious three one two from oh. our folks at Goose Island. Mercy. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Uh, CHGO is supported by Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's beer mm. since 1988. Their beer roster includes the 312 eat, uh, Wheat Ale uh, that Herb's drinking. Matt Peck earlier was drinking the Goose IPA. They also have the Tropical Beer Hug, and they have a nice little sampler as well. Were you uh, here when Zach Guilford from uh, Matt Sarazen was doing the read? I was not here. He, for, oh, it was electric. Yeah. It was? Yeah. If you guys haven't checked it out, CHGO Bulls it? earlier. Uh, Kidding. Zach Guilford, the actor who played Matt Saracen on Friday Night Lights, did the did the read, did the Goose Island read, did it well too. You guys watch Friday Night Lights? Oh my God, who didn't? Neither did I. I can't, I'm sorry, Herb. you didn't? No. Oh my God, you need to go back and watch it. I don't know if I do. It's quality. They had the same problem that we're going through right now. They had a writer's strike in the middle of their uh, whole thing, <laughs> and the, like season three sucked. They sucked ass. I know about Landry killed a dude for no reason. I know about Riggins. I know yeah. about Coach. But, you know, that's about it. Is Laura Dern in that show? No, it's... The uh, lady looks like Laura Dern? No, I forgot the actress's name, but she was also in the movie, oh, Friday Night Lights. That movie sucks, too. They no, lose? the movie was terrible. They lose? Yeah. Mercy. Justice for Booby Miles. Booby Miles. Um, also, uh, make sure you're checking out the, the uh, Tropical Neon Beer Hug series. Uh, they do have a nice little sampler. You get the juicy one. Uh, you get the neon one. You get the uh, hazy one. You get the tropical beer hug one. That one's a dry hopped Imperial IPA. 9.9% alcohol. That's dangerously easy to drink. So grab an ultra fresh brewery exclusive beer at Goose Island's original brew house on Clybourne Avenue in Lincoln Park or from their tap room on Fulton Street in Westtown. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's beer. Also, uh, Connie Britton. That's her name. Connie Britton. Okay. Um, Very good looking. Also, with Goose Island, we do have an event coming up. We have the Crosstown uh, Series event happening on July 26th and August 16th. Um, July 26th, there are about five tickets left, uh, we were just told by Hustle. management. Um, and we do have a little bit of a, a, a little 
competition with the Cubs thing. Um, I think if we sell those five tickets, we win the competition um, just for being such diehards and, and being so cool and being uh, such amazing Sox fans. Um, but, uh, yeah, we are looking uh, close to a sellout there. So make sure you're joining us on July 26th at 7, 10 p.m. Uh, we're going to have a pregame meetup at uh, a bar out in Oak Forest, the Colada Bar, um, attached to Gaelic Park. Uh, there will be transportation there. Uh, buy your tickets at allchgo.com, and diehards get 20% uh, discount as well. So we'd love to see you. You also get a choice of your shirt uh, out of there, too. But you get transportation to and from the bar, a uh, game ticket to get into Cubs, socks, and uh, a T-shirt as well. And you get to hang out with us. Uh, not Vinny, though, because he's working, because he's a, a good professional adult. Um, anyways, uh, also want to let you know uh, another chance where you can hang out with us. Uh, we have the CHGO Kickoff Classic at Cog Hill, August 25th, 9 a.m. Sign up at allchgo.com. Uh, when you do sign up and buy tickets, you get 18 holes with a cart and an exclusive CHGO and Pins and Aces polo for all players. You can see that in the bottom left. If you're listening on the podcast, you cannot. Uh, they also have hole contests, giveaways and prize. Get, we'll have giveaways and prizes, and there'll be lunch, drinks, and a ceremony after the round. And diehards do get a discount as well. And if you are looking to become a dis. Uh, diehard sign up at allchgo.com uh you get a free shirt when you become a member 20 percent off to events like the uh chgo kickoff classic the crosstown one um you also get a members uh, access to our members only discord as well the chgo lounge so uh we'd love to see you on either august 25th uh 26 august august 25th oh august 25th okay which one's the cubs one we need help you got it august 26 august 16th we would like to see you on either and or or at, and or at all of them uh, on July 26th, August 16th. Uh, those two are the Crosstown Series, and then August 25th for the CHGO Kickoff Classic. And again, diehards get 20% off. All right, Lucas Giolito, let's get into a start, and then uh, we'll wrap up this because we'll probably be talking about the Sox selling for a while. Make sure you're hitting that thumbs-up button, too. We appreciate it. I know we got a lot of people watching, uh, but not a, not a good watch-to-like ratio. You guys are commenting a ton. Just make sure you're hitting that thumbs-up button. We'd really appreciate it. Um, Lucas Giolito, three and two-thirds innings pitch, eight earned runs, six hits, Five Ks, five walks, a bad, 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 bad game from Lucas. You flush it. Um, you talk about him not liking to pitch on extra rest. He did have extra rest. I don't know if the Sox were doing that to miss the Braves. I don't know if they were doing that to just give him some extra rest. The latter would be my uh, assumption based on the way that they've talked about yeah. wanting to get all these starting pitchers some extra rest. Uh, but Lucas is a very routine-oriented guy. And, it, you know, I think he's talked about even when just, you know, an off day comes around and makes it five instead of four for him that it, it's sometimes not even to his liking. But um, this is we, – we have a big enough sample size this year from Lucas to know that this is quite an outlier. I believe this is the only game – uh, other than that early season game in Pittsburgh where he's allowed more than four runs all year. So uh, this is just looking like a clunker, and uh, there have been very few of those for Lucas this season. Do you think the White Sox gave him all this rest just to avoid starts like this, where, you know, I know today's start didn't necessarily tank his trade value because teams probably don't look at just one start that's close to the trade deadline and say, oh, He's terrible. They look at the totality of the season, but maybe the White Sox are like, okay, just less time exposed to hitters and uh, less starts for the Whites or for uh, Lucas Giolito. That means we could trade him a little bit more earlier than you know if he started on Friday like Michael Kopech did, and then he has to start like two days from now, and you'll have more starts for the Lucas Giolito on the White Sox, and then maybe some player uh, teams will be like, okay, he set three bad starts for the White Sox instead of just the one bad start versus the Mets here. So you have him less exposed to bad outings. He's already posted what he needs to post, and teams are already salivating for him. So if you have these type of starts and he continues to do it, maybe the price gets driven down. No. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> think the price gets driven down. I, I don't think, again, like, I think there's a good explanation on why this could have been a bad start. Obviously, you know, people just have bad starts, but also very routine-oriented just got more extra rest, and we've seen this be very particular with Michael Kopech in the opposite way. When he has more rest, better he is. Um, Lucas, when he has a, a, a consistent schedule, and we saw this, you know, get thrown off by the, the lockout last year, threw him off, he got off of his workout regimen, and then we saw that lead to injuries, and he had a horrible 2022. Um, you know, I, I think his 2023, he's, he's shown that he's pretty consistent, and there's a lot of bad, like, a lot of 
these playoff teams, again, like there's a lot of teams that are in playoff contention, which doesn't mean that there's a lot of good pitching staffs. Like Houston, I mean, we could look at Houston that the reason they won the World Series last year was because of their pitching. No Justin Verlander. Framber Valdez has been horrible. Hunter Brown just got lit up today against the Rockies, your, your, your AL Rookie of the Year pick. I understand that Lucas Giolito might not be an ace, but he's a top three pitcher for most playoff teams. So I do think that, especially with their contention window closing, uh, Dana Brown being a maniac, maybe the Astros go out and get him. I, I just wonder if it's his last start. Like, when do you think his last start with the Sox are? Like, do, do you think it's July 20 before, like, his next scheduled start would be July 23rd against Minnesota? Does he make that start? I mean, I don't know if you can accurately make that prediction because the what you were just saying earlier about, you know, going out there and getting a deal done, quote-unquote, early, right, with the, you brought up the Quintana example. That's surprising, mm-hmm. right? When you see any team do that, you're like, oh. Because, you know, we're used to kind of the old-school trade deadline day where it's like, all right, maybe you'll get one big move two days before, uh, one or two big moves the day before, and then there's a whole bunch of moves within five minutes of the deadline right. happening. Like, And so when you see something a week out or a week and a half out, you're like, oh, wow, that team really jumped the gun kind of thing. That team really went out and was proactive, and it's not fitting into that norm that you're expecting. So... I don't know if you can say that he's – I don't know if you can make that prediction accurately on, oh, are there tea leaves to read about when he's going to make his last start? I just think he keeps starting until until a deal happens. Well, just to bring in White Sox lore, obviously we saw an early trade with Jose Quintana. We saw a last-minute trade acquiring Jake Peavy in 2009. Um, like, I, I do think that Peavy obviously had different – Leverage. He was a former Cy Young winner. He was an ace of a staff. He was possibly the finishing piece uh, of, a, of a team's pitching rotation. Jose Quintana was looked as a future piece to help them just with future success, right? Like And, and current. Yeah, and, for that and, Cub and team, current, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, but you know the, the the selling point too of why you give up Aloy and right. Dylan was because right. of the the control. Lucas is very much for a team looking to win in the next two months. Yes. Um. So I, I do think that's why I think of Philly because Dave Dombrowski is consistently always like, you know, made moves. He's never sitting on his hands. I think of the Astros too, just because you know Jim Crane wants to win. That's what he always does. The Dodgers obviously make sense because they have so many prospects. Um. And. The, the connection to L.A. with Lucas, um, and they just have so many pitching injuries as well. be nice to have a starter. Like, I, I do think that it is just dependent on one of those teams truly being brave enough to say, we're ready to go all in to and just make offer. that deal. Right. Because I, I don't, I don't again, like, Rick Hahn has been very thoughtful on having Lucas Giolito as a trade option in his mind. I just, I would be surprised, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, he was traded, you know, five days before the deadline. Like, I feel like it's going to be a pre-deadline day move for Lucas. So I just feel to be on edge. But like you said earlier, though, the White Sox are in the driver's seat. So there's no reason for Rick to jump the gun unless the deal is premium. So he'll have these teams bidding over themselves. You just named like four teams there where Lucas could possibly go. And I don't think he's going to be eager to move these guys because you know i probably likes the player he probably says hey if you don't come to me we still can offer him a qualifying offer and if he doesn't sign that we'll get a compensatory a compensatory pick which isn't you know great but if you're not going to give me the the players i want we can always just hold on to lucas and that's what i hope he goes into the mindset like we don't need to trade him we don't want to trade him but if he needs to go he needs to go i think they'll hold up to him until the August 1st deadline and then move him. Maybe we need to have Ryan Herrera in here because Stroman's the other, like, you know, big acquisition at the deadline for starting pitchers. Um, we'll end here, and then we'll obviously talk more about the Sox. We'll have a post game tomorrow. And on Thursday, where Jose Quintana will make his Mets debut, uh, former White Sox friend, uh, and he'll be a great Immaculate Grid ad for uh, White Sox and Mets. Uh, but um, with the way, like, uh, the one thing that I, I would say with – your point, maybe they do wait as long as possible, but if a team goes out and gets Stroman first, that likely takes off some team the White Sox would trade Lucas Giolito too. Um, but it makes the other teams more desperate. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> and also the White Sox do have the benefit of having that qualifying offer. That does make Lucas Giolito a more interesting trade target because Stroman, no matter what's going to be a free agent. So maybe that is the leverage that keeps the White Sox holding on to Lucas Giolito until – that, that August 1st deadline day, and it does become a last-minute trade deadline deal where, you know, you're just trying to get 
the team to pile in as many prospects as possible. But, you know, I have a, a worry that, again, you'll you'll blow it. Just get them off the damn team. But Stro- no, the last thing I was thinking about, Strowman, like the Cubs might fool themselves into thinking that they're in the, in the division hunt, and they might keep them. Scoring 17 runs today, I know it's a bad Nationals team. They might say, hey, we can get there because they're playing the Nationals again tomorrow, and I think they play the Cardinals this weekend who are bad too. So they could fool themselves after a five-game winning streak. like, hey, we're right here. We're keeping Marcus Stroman. And then Lucas Giolito comes to the top of the starting pitching uh, free agent or trade deadline acquisitions. Wait and see. That's the game we're playing. Tony the uh, Brewers. Come on now. We will see you tomorrow <laughs> on, after the uh, Sox and Mets take on each other for game two. I closed my laptop uh, thinking I knew the uh, the pitching matchup tomorrow. Do we know the pitching matchup? Tuki Toussaint for Toussaint. the White Sox. Yeah. Thank God. Tuki Toussaint will take the bump. And Justin Verlander. Have you ever heard of Justin Verlander? I have. Some smart person picked him to win the Cy Young before the last season started. We you all did. laughed at you. you. We're like, <laughs> hilarious, Vinny. Ridiculous. He mm. just had the Tommy John. He's not going to win the Cy Young. Mm. You had the Tommy John. Yeah. <laughs> Grandpa Herb coming back out here. Um, <laughs> and I wrote that on the Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> on my iPad. Um, uh, final thing I wanted to bring up, too. Uh, Francisco Alvarez hit two homers. Uh, the only uh, ho- uh, catcher you couldn't name, rookie catcher with 20 homers, uh, J.P. Aaron Cebia. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you guys oh, didn't know uh, Blue Jays. Will and Rosario off the top of your head. He's the most recent rookie yeah. catcher to hit 20 homers. Uh, Mike Piazza, Carlton Fisk. Got and, those uh, two. And, and Gio Soto. You got, you got Gio the two Soto Hall of well. Famers and Giovanni Soto. <laughs> Francisco Alvarez looking to join those five uh, with another homer. That's going to do it. That's Vinny Duber. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. That's Herb Lawrence. You can follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23. He's our CHGO White Sox community leader. I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Thank you to everybody for hanging out with us in the chat. Make sure you're hitting that thumbs up button on your way out. We appreciate you, and we will talk to you tomorrow after the Sox take on the Mets. Bye.